In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Now to the Baptist, or recovering Baptist in the room, I understand that my reciting of the Hail Mary uh, might have made you uh, a bit uncomfortable or perhaps anxious, uh, but it need not. I mean, don't get up and walk out, out yet. Because the Hail Mary is simply quoting scripture. It's an amalgam of the greeting of Gabriel and the greeting of Elizabeth, the former in Luke one twenty-eight, saying, Hail, thou that art, art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. And the latter saying in verse 43 of the same chapter, Elizabeth saying, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. In any, in any case, I understand that many Christians, uh, hundreds of millions of them, in fact, are at the very least uh, uncomfortable with the veneration or the honoring of Mary. Uh, they hear the cry of Mary uh, in the Magnificat, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, where she says, For behold, from henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And they, in essence, reply, nope, I'm good. Hard, hard pass on that. And I understand that uh, sort of reticence uh, because I used to very much feel the same way. Uh, oftentimes in my reading and in my conversations with people, uh, it's a reaction against Roman Catholicism and or that tradition's abuses in practice whether real or perceived, uh, regarding the Virgin Mary, or uh, in general, the communion of saints. But let's have some fun this morning. This is sort of a sequel, if you will, uh, or this, this rounds out the trilogy from our All Saints Tide sermons. Uh, we, we had, I think they were, were fun, maybe challenging sermons for All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Uh, and everything that, uh, if you want to go back and, and listen to that, if you don't have enough to do in the next few days, you could go in and listen to that. And this, this sermon will fit with that uh, perfectly. Uh, but it's sort of rounding that out. Uh, I want to play a little game, though. And some of you I've played this game with before, so if you know the answer, uh, don't yell it out. And you guys know how much I love quizzes. I just want to do a very short quiz, only one question. I want to play who, it's a game entitled, I've entitled it, Who Said It? So I'm going to read you a quote, and you're going to try to figure out uh, who said it. That's the name of the game. Here it is. Mary is the highest woman and the noblest gem in Christianity after Christ. She is nobility, wisdom, and holiness personified. We can never honor her enough. Still, honor and praise must be given to her in such a way as to hurt neither Christ nor the scriptures. So, all right, who said it? Any guesses? You can, you can speak out. Yes. It is Martin Luther. I was going to drag out the drama, but you're so smart. You know, but you... you <laughs> yeah, and, and so it is Martin Luther. You know, when you hear it, you think, okay, it's Pope Francis or maybe St. Thomas Aquinas or, you know, uh, Mother Teresa. 
But no, it's the great Protestant reformer, uh, Martin Luther, in his Christmas sermon in 1531. So this is 14 years uh, after he nailed uh, his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Now, of course you could say, and many have said, that Luther's love for Mary was the leftovers of his medievalism, of his medieval Roman Catholicism. Uh, Okay, fair enough. So let's go back to the early church, like way back. Let's go back to uh, the second century in the era immediately after the apostles. So the early church fathers, figures like uh, St. Justin um, Martyr, uh, St. Irenaeus, uh, Tertullian, they had, you will see all the way from the beginning, all the way down to today, this high view of Mary. And they, they did this interesting thing uh, typologically. A type is, is, a, is a thing or a person which points beyond itself to this greater reality. They heralded uh, Mary as the new Eve, as Christ is envisaged by Paul as the new and true Adam. So the fathers see Mary as the new and true Eve. Uh, Listen to St. Irenaeus, who, by the way, was a disciple of Polycarp, who himself was a disciple of the Apostle John. So Polycarp knew and was discipled by the Apostle John himself. Uh, And he discipled Irenaeus. And Irenaeus writes this. He says, By her obedience, she reverses the disobedience of Eve, so that the first virgin's fall through the seduction of an angel is overcome by the faithful response of this virgin who believes the word of another angel. So where did the fathers get this idea? It's everywhere. Well, they got it from the apostles. They got it from Scripture, in particular, uh, today's gospel. The parallels between Eve's encounter with the serpent, with a fallen angel in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1, the parallels are uncanny. Both are espoused virgins, both Eve and Mary. Both are visited by angels. Uh, Eve gets the short end of the stick because the angel that visits her is Satan. Um, And Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel. Both received, of course, word and instruction from God. But whereas Eve doubted the word of the Lord, Mary believed it. Though she did question how it would be accomplished. But but the nature of her question uh, isn't the same as what we see earlier in Luke chapter 1, where Zacharias is just... uh, the father of John the Baptist is just lacking in faith. Or if you remember Sarah in the Old Testament, when she hears what God's going to do, she laughs. Mary is, I think, in a moral quandary. It's conflicting absolutes. God, you're saying this, but I'm a virgin. How can this be? And Mary is not uh, rebuked uh, by the Lord as Zechariah and Sarah were. But she, she believes, as we'll see. Whereas Eve was cursed namely with pain and childbearing, Mary is called blessed. She's the one full of grace and becomes, uh, not just symbolically, but actually uh, for about nine months, she becomes the temple of, the, of God, the place where God dwells. So that's that Old Testament connection. Because David's asking and talking about temples and, 
and God's talking about a son and a kingdom. Whereas Eve is the mother of all the living, naturally speaking, Mary is the mother of all who live in and by Christ, spiritually speaking. What did Jesus say to John, the beloved disciple, as he hung on the cross? Behold your mother. Thus commending her not to John only, but to the whole church of which she is a type. So to put it crudely, Mary is a big deal. She is what's called in theology and in the history of the church, the Theotokos, the God-bearer or the mother of God. Now, this, the mother of God, this was enshrined in church teaching at the Council of Ephesus in 431. And now, of course, this isn't to say that she's the mother of the Godhead, but rather to say that the one whom she bore is God. To say that she is not the mother of God is to deny the divinity of our Lord. So what happened in Ephesus in the 5th century, uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, our canon for vocations, uh, he, uh, Justin Holcomb, he wrote a book on the creeds and councils of the church. And, and I would en- encourage you to read it. It's, it's an easy read. You're not going to go buy it and it's 1,200 pages and it's, you're going to fall asleep. It's, it, it's an introduction to the creeds and councils of the church. And there's just some amazing things because what happens is, is that the Orthodox uh, party, uh, those who believe that there were two natures in the one person of Christ, who's fully divine and fully human, they choose Ephesus as the place where the council would be, would be, head, be held because uh, Ephesus was this uh, bastion of uh, Mar- Marian devotion, if you will. Um, and so what's interesting is that this well-established Marian devotion, uh, this high view of Mary, which hopefully you'll see uh, this morning, it finds its origin in Holy Scripture itself. It served to safeguard the mystery of the Incarnation, that Jesus Christ, the one born, is fully God and fully human, that a complete divine nature and a complete human nature are united without separation or confusion in the one person of Jesus, he who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So I, co- I would contend that we have in the conciliar history of the church, so conciliar referring to the councils, an example of how a rightly ordered Honoring affection for Our Lady leads us not away, but to Jesus. And as with all the saints, Mary is to lead us towards the Lord as we reflect upon her person, as we reflect, as we exult in the work that God did in and through her. Thus, we should reflect and meditate upon, marvel at, for example, that the word became flesh in the womb of the virgin, that she held in utero he who holds the universe together. Incredible. Mary is 
Again, the new Eve and the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. And as such, she's worthy of admiration and veneration. Again, she says, henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. But the communion with the saints in general and the honoring of Mary in particular, when properly practiced, includes, and we cannot miss this, includes necessarily imitation that we follow them as they followed Christ. That's what Paul says to his churches. Follow me as I follow Christ. And the Blessed Virgin is utterly worthy of imitation because she is the model of Christian living and obedience. She's regarded as the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Her, and her disposition that we see in Luke Uh, chapter 1, her disposition is this archetype for all those in whom God would dwell. For she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Again, whereas through Eve's disobedience, death entered the world, quite literally, her first son Cain was a murderer. So through Mary's yes to God, does life come into the world? Again, quite literally. For Jesus is the Lord of life, the only begotten Son of the Father. What Mary did is she made an unconditional surrender to the Lord. And so Christ was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And spiritually speaking, if we want Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, to be born in us and born in him, then we must do the same. This surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ is the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life. I want you to listen to an excerpt from a book written by Father John Bear. He writes this on Mary's Yes. Uh, He calls it her, let it be. Let it be to me, according to your word. For our high calling to be conformed to the image and likeness of God, for this to be realized, we too need to be able to say for ourselves, let it be. God does not enter into this world except by our offering him space, Not a geographical space somewhere else in the world, but our own place, ourselves and our own time, today. The sacrifice of our own sense of self, our attempts to construct our own identity, to set limits and boundaries on how much we are prepared to accept, to say, let it be, but only on my terms. No, our terms need to be sacrificed. If we are to say, let it be, we must sacrifice ourselves, becoming ourselves temples of God, sacrificing ourselves on the altar of our heart so that he can now be present in us and through us. We must decrease so that he might increase. Now, I would never compare myself uh, to Mary 
uh, even just for aesthetic reasons. I'm sure she was a lot better looking than I am. But I would never compare myself to her as a Christian. But I have had in my life, uh, by the grace of God, at least one what I would call Mary moment, a Marian moment. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I fell into uh, a, a very deep uh, depression. Uh, and it, it, it was really hard because it came out of nowhere. Um, those of you who have, have suffered uh, from depression, one of the things that can be so frustra- frustrating about it uh, is that there's this inexplicable grief. There wasn't necessarily this activating event, something that happened that, of course, would make you sad. Uh, I mean, my life was good. Uh, it was great, actually. had uh, a great mother and a great church and a great school. Uh, and then this, this just hits me out of nowhere. And I, and I still can't necessarily speak with authority on, on why this happened to me. Um, maybe it was physiological, you're 15, your body's changing, all these sorts of things. Uh, but my, if, I, if I had to guess, I would say that the Lord handed me over to that. He allowed me to go through this trial so that Matt could die and a new Matt could be born in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. But I, but I remember as I'm going through this and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years, there was a lot of bargaining. We, we do this in life with God. And a lot of promises were made. It's like, God, if you make me better, I'll never sin again. You know, I'm 15. I'll, I'll never even hold a girl's hand again, God. I'll be the perfect Christian. I'll become a missionary in China. If you do this for me, then I'll do whatever. And over the period of a year or so, I had, I had to drop the if. I realized that. God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this. I had to come to the place where I could say without qualification, God, I'm yours. We all have a bit of Jonah in us that God calls us to something. Because God is calling us to an abundant life in Jesus Christ. And God never calls someone to be a mediocre, lukewarm Christian. To one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. I'll have a little bit of Jonah where God's calling us to this place. Go to Nineveh and now we're going we're to go like the other way to Tarshish. We're going to do that instead. And there's always this thing that's holding us back. Or maybe things. For Jonah it was... He just hated the Ninevites with all his heart. The Assyrians were terrible people and had done terrible things uh, to Israel. And so he, wa- he wanted them to be destroyed. He's like, I don't, want, I don't want to go preach repentance to them. But we have to identify. So, um, What is the thing in your life or the things in your life that are pre- preventing you from the fullness of grace? that God offers you in his son, Jesus Christ? What's, what's the fear? 
What's the hurt? What's the struggle? What's the habit that you can't imagine living life without? So let us ask God for grace so that we can follow Mary as she followed Christ and that we can honor her. And the greatest way we can honor her is by imitating her and by rejoicing in her obedience and then brothers and sisters saying with her, women, it would be weird for you to say this, guys, but for the women in here, behold the handmaid of the Lord. God, when you look at me, you see the handmaid of the Lord. Fellas, behold the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.